are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Now, I want to speak to you for a moment on this question. Who is the Holy Spirit of God? Who is the Holy Spirit? I would that I had time to stay with you long enough to have brought a series of messages on the person and the office and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But I did not plan to stay except the length of time that I will be here, as that would not permit. But I did try to speak to you on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you'll remember the three things that I said, and then especially remember the text. Luke 11 and verse number 13. Luke 11, verse number 13. And then last night, I tried to speak to you on the, the productiveness of the Holy Spirit. And the only motive I had in bringing the message last night is to remind you that we're on the winning side. Now just keep that before you. I don't care how loud the heathens rage. And I might, might as well to me how rapidly the apostates multiply. It matters not to me how many fundamentalists so-called throw the towel in and quit standing for the Lord and standing for the fundamentals. That doesn't matter a bit in the world. God can raise up a John the Baptist anytime he wills. And our cause is bound ultimately in the end to come out first. Amen. And the reason I say that is because the same blessed Spirit of God that moved from the face of the deep and brought light and life out of the darkness that you read in verse 2, Genesis 1. That same mighty spirit is productive in regeneration now. He still saves people now. Whom he will and how he wills and when he wills. And he will uh, be productive in the conservation of all God's program right straight to the very end. But who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Spirit that I'm talking about tonight? Now, may I suggest to you, we have the idea that the Holy Spirit is some sort of a mystical, abstract personality that floats around through the atmosphere and that nobody knows anything for sure about the Holy Spirit. And consequently, we ignore him. And uh, we don't recognize him. And we get the idea that uh, he's an unneeded part of a triune God and a mystical, some sort of a mystical personality that we have relegated to the ranks of emotionalism are relegated to the Pentecostal people and we Baptist people have graduated far above the person of the Holy Spirit and since we just ignore this blessed person. Is that the answer to my question? No, certainly not. And you all know, the Holy Spirit is not a mystical, abstract sort of a personality that we know nothing about. But the Spirit of God is as real as the breath you breathe into your body this morning. He's a living, eternal personality. Somebody said, God's high spirit in the earth today is the blessed Holy Spirit. God's representative in the earth today is the blessed Holy Spirit. God with us right now is the blessed Holy Spirit about whom I speak. Let me is the Holy Spirit, the third person of a trinity. All my life as a young man, I was taught the idea that the Trinity was divided into the first and second and third person. I haven't been able to find that in the Bible. But I, I heard that all my lifetime and I became accustomed to thinking of God as the first person. 
and Jesus is the second person. And I became tragically accustomed to thinking of the Holy Spirit as the third person in the Trinity. Now you can see logically what that kind of, of terminology does. If that's the Trinity, then in our thinking we have the Holy Spirit, have God here and Jesus here, subordinate to the Father, and then the Holy Spirit down here, subordinate to God and subordinate to the Son. So that is the ritual. That's not taught in the Bible, and you well know that. You said, now, Brother Harold, you believe in the Trinity? Sure, sure. Every fundamentalist believes in the triune God, a Trinity. But my Trinity that I see in the Bible is not God here and the Son here and the Holy Spirit here, but the Trinity is God here and the Son here and the Holy Spirit here, and they're equal in glory and majesty and power and dominion, one with another. If I were to come to this pulpit tonight and even, even insinuate, I mean, just make an insinuation. God bless these boys in Carolina. Boys, it makes me feel at home. Hey, see, you fellas come in here. What about that? Amen. The last time I saw you was an old-fashioned Baptist camp meeting. Praising God and shouting the victory. Amen. All right. Now, if I were standing in this pulpit and insinuate that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, was inferior to the Father, if I were to stand here and insinuate that he is God, but not in the sense that the Father is God, not in the authority that the Father is God, and not in the eternity that the Father is God. Why, some of you fundamentals will stand up and say, wait a minute, preacher. We don't believe that. We believe that in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And I say, amen. Jesus is not a manifestation of God. He is God. He's not an expression of God. He is God. He's not an example of God. He is God. Amen. You believe that? Now, by the same logic, if I were to stand here and say that the blessed Spirit of God is not all God and subordinate to the Son and subordinate to the Father, by the same logic, I'd be guilty of the same perversion of the blessed Word of God. Now, the Holy Spirit is uh, in the Trinity, to be sure. But you get this idea that he's a third person out of your mind. You don't find that in the Bible. That theological terminology, and I think sometimes it's been damaging. The terminology we use in classifying and identifying the blessed spirit has damaged our knowledge of him and our relationship with him. He's not a subordinate, inferior, unnecessary part of a triune God. When you lift the spirit from there and Put him here where he belongs. That's revival. That's right. You don't have to pray for revival. When you do that, you've got it. Because he's the agent of revival. He's the sender of the revival. He's the blesser. And there cannot be revival apart from not him, but he. The blessed Holy Spirit God. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? May I simply remind you that he's the one that inspired the record of this precious book that I have before me. He's the one that saved and called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's the one that saved and set on fire Paul, the apostle. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the one that has saved down to the years God's elect, God's truth. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the one that calls out God's preachers and sends them forth. Never has there been a preacher called apart from the ministry, not of him, but of he, God's executive in this earth. Who is the Spirit? He's the one that inspires every hymn writer to write the blessed songs that thrill our heart and lift us in the Lord. 
And I say to you that a hymn that's not inspired by the Spirit of God will die. Never blessed. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the one that calls many women and boys and girls to put their lives upon the altar and say, I'll go to Africa. Or I'll go to Brazil. I'll be a missionary. I'll give my life. Who is the Spirit? He's the one that will challenge a man that makes money to say, I'm going to give that to the Lord. All I have, all that I am, I'm going to give it to God. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the one that talks to you when you're blessed and inspired. He's the one that fans the flame of eternal life in the bosom, in your bosom. The Holy Spirit is the one that inspires me to preach. Not him, but he. And I tell you, preaching become an awful ordeal without the inspiration that the Holy Spirit can inspire a preacher with. And how we need that inspiration. The old timers call it holy option. We need some of that old, old time holy option upon Baptist preachers. Most Baptist preachers I know of are twice dead and plucked up by the roots. And you well know it. And we need that holy unction. And the reason some of them don't have the holy unction they need is because the Holy Ghost to them is down here. But he ought to be here, co-equal with the Father and with the Son. Now those words of introduction. Number one, first, who is the Holy Spirit of God? May I remind you that he's the one that convicts of sin. Now you put that down. He's the one that convicts of sin. A matter of how much you preach. A matter of how zealously you may present the word. And how fervently you may proclaim. And how easily and diligently you may work and serve apart from the Holy Spirit. It's tinkling symbol and sounding breath. In the words of my text, in John chapter 16, Jesus said in verse 8, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment to come. When he is come, he will reprove the world. Now, brethren, we might as well face it. Men are not won to God by dynamic personalities. I wish the Lord had endowed me with more personality than I possess, I'll confess. I think I was the least qualified when it comes to personality. Of any man that God ever called to preach. I, I'm not handsome and I well know it. I don't have a winsome personality necessarily, and I well know that. But I say to you that that's not what wins people to God anyway. God can take a crooked stick and draw a straight line. Amen. God can use a broken voice. Use him as a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Yes. Man doesn't have to be broad shoulders and six foot two and weigh 175 pounds to be a preacher. God can use these timid, shy, inferiority, complex boys and men and call them into the ministry and use them to bless people and to get people saved. For after all, it's not personality. And it's not preaching necessarily and alone that produces conviction. It's not nice church buildings and well-ordered services. It's not a trained choir and a teacher to organize church. The only person of Holy Ghost conviction is the Spirit of God. And unless He everything we do is deeply simple. He alone can convict the poor sinner of sin. Now what I'm saying is so that I'm happy. I'm just a broken reed, a broken stick, a voice crying in the wilderness. I can't do one thing to get one sinner under conviction. Not the one who can. Amen. The other Sunday, Tabernacle, I had a happy spell. I said, praise God. Hallelujah. Somebody said, what are you praising the Lord for? I said, I happen to think somebody else is going to get saved. They said, how do you know somebody else is going to get saved? I know the Holy Ghost is still in the earth. 
And I know a lot of sinners around being as hard as nails, but they don't come too hard for the Holy Spirit. I've seen them break down and break up. I've seen God plow the battleground. I've seen men get saved that you would never think would get saved. I a long time ago found out it wasn't my preaching, nor my personality, nor my ability to organize. The only person that can bring about saving conviction is the blessed Holy Spirit of God. Lord, depend upon him. Confess him. Ask him to move upon your services. He is the agent of conviction in this northern agent. Of course, he uses human instrumentality. He uses the preaching of God's word. But basically, the Holy Spirit is the agent of conviction. Number two, who is the Spirit? He's the one that converts. He gives birth to the sinner into the family of God. And without him, there can be no new birth. There can be no regeneration. There can be no conversion. All folk can walk down the aisle and sign a card. Folk can join the Sunday school. Folk can make decisions. Without the ministry of the Spirit of God, but men are not converted and born again, and men are you, except the blessed Spirit, not him, but he, move upon them and birth them into God's heaven. And when that kind gets saved, they stay saved. You get the Holy Spirit working on a man, get him under conviction of sin, and then get him birthed into God's family, he'll hold out. He don't fall from grace, he stays saved. Pastor don't have to worry about him, brother. He'll be around. When the way gets hard, he'll stick. He's got the right stuff. Born again of the Holy Spirit of God. And he's the one that does that. Nobody else. Southern Baptist can't do that. Bible Baptist Fellowship can't do that. No ecclesiastical hierarchy can do that. The Roman Mass can't do that. Church membership cannot do that. Baptism ordinances cannot produce that. But the Holy Ghost is in the business of producing exactly that regeneration. Conversion. Then number three, who is the Holy Spirit? He's the one that seals and keeps us from falling. I'm glad that's so. The moment a man is saved by the grace of God, he receives the earnest of his inheritance that moment and becomes sealed by the blessed Spirit until the day of the redemption of his body. Bible to me is very clear. Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 4. And other places clearly teach, as far as I can see, that the Spirit of God seals every believer, every born-again one, and he's kept by the power of God until he reaches destination. Now that to me is a blessed reality, that I'm sealed not by him. And the reason some folk lose their salvation is because they've been sealed by their own spirit. You get sealed by him, the Spirit of God in power. You don't get away. You can't get away. You don't want to get away. To whom shall we go, Lord? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Sealed by the power of the blessed Spirit. Kept from falling until I arrive at destination. Some go to me. Back in Genesis chapter number 24, when that faithful servant of Abraham had finally found Rebecca and told Rebecca about Abraham and about the doors of Abraham's tent and about the doors of Abraham's son born miraculously, you know the story. Beautiful story. In Genesis 24, to me, a perfect picture of the new birth from the very start to the end. The presentation of the bride to the waiting bridegroom. After Rebecca heard the story from the lip of the servant of Abraham, then the servant put the question to Rebecca. Will she go? Will she believe? Shall she become the bride of the waiting bridegroom Isaac? What will answer me? And in verse 15, Rebecca, after hearing the story, said, Rebecca took a bracelet out of her treasure chest. 
And with tender hands, he placed that bracelet on the arm of Rebecca. And as far as I'm concerned, when Rebecca accepted that bracelet, she accepted the foretaste of glory. She accepted the token of her inheritance. Now I can imagine the old servant proudly said, Rebecca, this is just a little bit what my master has much of. And when you get home and become the bride of my master's son, then all the riches of Abraham is yours. Years ago, when God saved me as a lad, he gave me the blessed spirit, the earnest of my inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And he said, now, son, this is yours until you come into the possession of the purchased possession. And down through these years, I've had the constant companionship of the blessed spirit, sealed by the spirit, in valleys, but he's been with me. Tried, but he's been with me. Discouraged, but he's been with me. He knows exactly when to drop handfuls on purpose about my feet. He knows exactly when I need grace, when I need encouragement. He's my constant companion. He's my stealer. And I have heaven in On my way to heaven. The Holy Spirit. The seal. Now that's not him, but he. The sealer of every man that's saved by the grace of God. But not only that, but I remind you that he's the sustainer. He's the convictor, he's the converter, he's the sealer, he's the sustainer of every man that's saved by the grace of God. How are you going to keep on? How are you going to persevere? How are you going to hold out? How do you know that you'll end up in the faith? You'll be good in the faith. How do you know you'll end up in the faith? Suppose you become discouraged and become a suppose persecution overwhelmed. To the degree that you say, Lord, I can't go on, I can't go on. How do you know that you shall persevere? How do you know but what you won't become disappointed in Jesus and in the Lord? You say, well, brother, what do you mean? I said, you mean, suppose the way becomes, suppose you to become steamingly forsaken. Cast down, as Paul reminds us, but not forsaken. What are you going to do in those cast down moments? Are you going to depend upon yourself? Of course not. Are you going to look to your own arm? Of course not. You don't have to. Because the believer has one in his body, at his side, in his presence, journeying with us every step of the way, who has promised to sustain us until we shall arrive at destination. We're kept by his power, satisfied by his presence, sustained by his hand until we get home to heaven. Now that's who is not him, but he, the blessed spirit, the sustainer of the believer. Now as an illustration, some of you preachers want to throw an outline. Here's one of the most glorious things I've ever seen in the Bible. In the book of Ruth, there are four great chapters in that book. And they, believe me, they are pregnant with blessed spiritual truth. And in chapter number one, you've got a picture of Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi is a type of the backslider coming home to God. And Ruth is a type of the Gentile bride coming home to accept uh, the Jews, really, the Jews' God. She said, your God should be my God, your people should be my people, your country should be my country, whoever I go is, I will go, said Ruth. And she came home. Chapter 1 is a picture of conversion and rededication. And then when they got home, in chapter number 2 and down in verse 3, it says, they had a friend. And it so happened... The word H-A-P, an old English word used in that third verse, it was their hap. Actually, it was their providence, in God's providence, 
when they arrived back in Bethany and Judah, they were sent out into the field of Boaz and commenced to become gleaners in the field of Boaz. That was not answer. Because the Bible says it was their hap. It was in God's providence that they were completed. Now, after they went into the fields of Boaz and committed to clean, one day Boaz, the wealthy you father, watching, supervising his own workers and the harvesting of his own crops, his eyes fell on that Gentile girl. And he said to himself, who is that girl? He began to inquire, who is that young girl, Boaz's girl? And he said, uh, who is the lady, the old lady of the shot? Someone else in Israel said, Why, Mr. Boyd, that's the only, the wife of Elimelech. He's back in Bethlehem. Why, no, but he said, Who is the young girl? And they said, Why, that's the husband of one of the boys. Both of them died, and this girl came back with her mother in law. She's a Moabite. And Boaz revolved those things in his mind. Every day when he'd come and watch his harvesters in the field, his eyes would fall from that young girl in rags and tatters, a Gentile, a Moabite. Did you know, in God's hand, in God's pocket, this wealthy Jew fell in love with this Moabite girl, Gentile girl. Brother, that's a perfect picture to me of Jesus, the, the Messiah of Israel, loving me and you to sit in this Baptist church tonight that are not Israel, but Gentile dogs just like Ruth was. And the more he saw Ruth, the deeper he fell in love with her. And every day, he'd walk down to his harvesters and look at this girl and wonder about her hands, plan about their marriage. That's what I wanted to see. One day, Boaz said to one of his servants, he said, you, you see that young lady here gleaning on the terrace? Yes, sir. He said, I want you to go to my barn and get an arm full of the best grain I've got. I mean, not gleaning... To get the best grain I've got. Put your arm down. Bring an armful of gold and grain from my daughters. I want you to go and run near me and stoop over to glean a head of corn here and a head of wheat here. I want you to drop ten bulls on purpose about that. That old servant said, yes, sir, Mr. Boy. That night he went to the barn, loaded his arms up with beautiful grain. When the only roots stooped over to pick up a head of grain here and there to keep body and soul together, gleaning in the field of the That old servant would drop a handful of wonderful grain at the feet of, of Ruth, and Ruth would see it, and she'd say, Thank you, Lord. I didn't see that a moment ago. That'll make a substantial supply tonight. Thank you, Lord. And she'd pick it up and put it in the sack. That night, she and Naomi would sit down to a sumptuous supply. God's providence, God's grace, God's sustaining power to take care of the bride until the wedding. See, that's what he is. Now, I want to say to you that God does that to me. You? Why, 38 years ago, I said, yes, Jesus, you're God, should be my God, you people should be my people. I'll take my stand with God's people. I'll accept God's son, Jesus, as my Savior. And for 30 years, I've been gleaning in this unfriendly world. And sometimes the bleeding gets rather hard. But you know the Holy Ghost, that's who I'm talking about tonight. He knows when the gleanings is hard. He knows when my fear is meager. And just what I need, he'll drop tenfold on purpose, hallelujah, at my feet. And that night I have a supply. I sit down beneath the big, some bits, 
that not eat three rolls, one roll from the other at the table at the midnight hour. about my peace. Brother, he's not going to forget his self. No, my hair turns as white as the silver snow. And my feet become female and wandering. And about my peace. I'll never see the righteous second of God's seed begging bread. Hallelujah. That's the thing. Now, who does that? The Holy Spirit. Not him, but him. Amen. That's what I'm going to confess with you and say glory. It's wonderful to know that I'm sustained by the power of God. I'm the power of God until I arrive at destination. I've been in the valley. But I tell you, it's wonderful when the Spirit of God moves it to side and to change you in the valley. My heart's been broken. And it's wonderful to be comforted by the Spirit. Amen. But it's wonderful to have the presence of God stand by you every step of the way. He is the sustainer of God's people until we arrive at destination. Believe that. No trial, no test will ever, ever overcome you until you arrive home. But there's one other thing, and I could go on for another hour. But there's one other thing I want to say. He shall also present the bride to the Lord Jesus. You know, that's going to be a breathless moment. And I'll play up on that every once in a while and imagine that breathless moment when Jesus, I see, and my journey is going to come to an end, when eternity is in view. And I can see the Prince of Glory. I've never seen him, but I'm going to see him one day. And just as in the case of Rebecca in Genesis 24, one day they climbed the last mountain. When they got on top of the last mountain, Rebecca looked at the most lovely meadow she'd ever seen. Beautiful better. And she said to the servant, let me dismount and feed my eye upon the beauty of this meadow. That's the peace of eternity. The glory of eternity. The old servant said, you've got plenty of time, help yourself. Oh, you're home to heaven, we'll have plenty of time, hopefully. And she was on top of the last mountain. He dismounted and stood and looked at that beautiful valley. And as she looked at it, she saw a man, as the Bible says, he was at the edge of the field. The Bible says it was eventide. The sun was sinking. The Bible says he was meditating. Now that's Jesus right now. On the edge of eternity, eventide of time, thinking about the fact that the Holy Ghost has been gone 2,000 years, and it's time for him to come back with the bride. You know, the shouting about to break out in heaven, we ought to do a little bit of it now and get accustomed to it. Just about time for the bride to get home. Just about time. And that's the picture that Rebecca saw of Isaac. And she said to the servant, Who is that young man? And the servant said, That's my master's son, Isaac. His name means joy, laughter. That's my master's son, Isaac. And when he heard that and saw that he was surprised, the Bible says she pulled the veil. Said, that night, he went into the tent, the tent of Abraham and became the wife of Isaac. Now, one day the Holy Ghost is going to do that to me and you. We'll climb the last mountain top in this pilgrim journey. We're going to look into the beautiful meadow of eternity. We're going to see the Prince of Glory at the edge of the field, even tied, meditating. 
We're going to say, Holy Spirit, who's that? And the Holy Spirit proudly will say, Child, that's my, that's the son, that's Jesus. And we'll pull the veil and go into him and live in the city that John describes in Revelation chapter number 21. And then in closing, let me illustrate a bit further by going back to Ruth. I mentioned over to I want to give you that four chapter outline. Chapter one, a bride coming home. Chapter two, the Holy Spirit sustaining the bride until they get home to destination in chapter three. Now watch that. It's a picture of the death of the saints. The pilgrim now dies. You read that third chapter, and the army says to Ruth, you go in and uncover the feet of Boaz and lie down at his feet until the morning. Now don't read anything immoral in it. It's a beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. I'd love to hear Dr. Kenyon on that. He could help us, I'm sure. Beautiful picture. And uh, so, we, so Ruth goes in and uncovers the feet of Boaz. And she lies down until the morning. Before the morning came, Boaz was awakened. And when he was awakened, he discovered at his feet a sleeping bride. And he said to that sleeping bride, sleep on until the morning. And that's exactly what God says to all of us the moment we die. The moment we die, my soul and my spirit goes to be with God. But I lie down in my body at the feet of Jesus to sleep. In my body, old man, in my body, until the morning. And when the morning comes, Jesus will say to us, just like Boaz said to Ruth, in the morning, we're going to get up. And there's going to be a wedding. And in chapter number four of the book of Ruth, we've got the wedding in verse number 13. And so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Now listen, the Holy Spirit is that one who will present us to the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. I could go on and say that the Holy Spirit is He who enables us to witness. The Holy Spirit is He who gives us power in prevailing prayer. And on and on, there are other things that we could say about who, not this one, but this one is. The blessed Holy Spirit of God. Come to recognize it. Preach about it. You pastors, bring a series on the person of the Holy Spirit of God. Take three months and spend 13 Sundays in a series of messages on who is the Spirit. Tell about his person. Tell about his ministry. Urge your people to recognize it. Be filled with the Spirit of God. When that blessed hour comes, you've got revival in the church that you pastor. And I close with this final word. The reason Baptist churches are dead all over America, and brother they are, is because the Holy Ghost is down here unrecognized, unneeded, relegated to an inferior position in man's theology. He's down here at the average Baptist church. You put him here. God will give you revival blessings when you do. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.